I'm Diana Coley and uh, essentially I have a 12 year background as a primary school teacher and I left primary school teaching full time a couple of years ago um, to become, I decided that I wanted to sort of... Um... Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host Obehi Ewanfo and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. build my own businesses and work for myself so initially like writing has always been my passion in life and what I'm you know always been that's my talent if you like so um, I wanted to pursue a freelance writing career and so I had this decision to make you know to leave what was essentially I was in middle leadership at the time well-paid job um, and to leave and I had several reasons for that but um then I came across coaching. A friend of mine mentioned to me, have I ever thought of coaching? And it's almost like a moment where things align for you. And I thought this is where I want to go because throughout my teaching career, even now, um, I am so passionate about personal development, um, nurturing children, that kind of thing. And that's where all of my strengths lie in behavior management throughout my career. That's really um it makes me the teacher I am, if you like. So I then went on this, embarked on this journey of um, becoming a supply teacher in order to support that transition, which is where I am now. I now have got myself to a position where I work um, part-time and I can you know, move more towards becoming full-time coach um, and freelance writer. So that's really been my journey. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And you are not just coaching, you are a personal performance coach, you know, which is yeah. different from any other type of coaching. You know? So mm-hmm. would you want to say something about that? As uh, What does it even mean, personal performance coaching? Yeah, so personal performance coaching is about essentially developing yourself, your personal growth as a person, whether that be um, in essentially knowing where you are, where you want to go because a lot of people find themselves, um, can find themselves stuck sometimes and not sure what direction to go. So having that clarity and direction, but then also having the resources, if you like, the skills to be able to navigate um, your goals and where you want to go. So things like confidence, um, you know, um, in yourself as well, because actually on top of, um, the personal performance it's sort of enhanced because I'm also an NLP practitioner and the NLP it gives it's a bit more I think when I trained as a personal coach I loved everything it was doing it was as I said a way of giving people direction and keeping them moving forward um, essentially faster than they would by themselves so it's that guidance it's that support um, of coaching conversations Um, and then through my training I sort of I'd heard about NLP and it definitely comes into the coaching, but what it does is it gives you more sort of your own state management, you as a person, having these sort of excellent behaviours that allow you to respond the way you need to in anything you do. So, you know, as humans, we're emotional, we react to things, we, you know, in this business, 
it's not easy. Anybody setting up their own business or wanting to pursue a career, it's about managing your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviours to be able to achieve what you want to achieve and to carry yourself as in a way that is um, excellent, essentially. So NLP really enhances this and just gives you this really solid way to be, if you like, and a way to navigate all the things you want to do and the, th- the goals you want to go for. Now, I remember the first question just now was about uh, where you are coming from. Tell me a little background of your origin. And that is important also for us because, okay, you know, we are in the diaspora and our mm-hmm. concentration is that, but we also like to connect more to our roots. Uh, mm. So tell me more a little bit about that. So I'm of Nigerian origins. My parents are um, both Nigerian, we're Iba, and I was uh, born here. There's four of us. We were born here. So my parents... Um, came over well well over 40 40 to 50 years ago and so um I've grown up in London essentially I'm still um actually close to where I grew up living close to where I grew up but as much as you know a Nigerian upbringing is what and what if anybody asks me this is so controversial because people tell me you're British you're British but I'm Nigerian. That's 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 how I was brought up. Those are the values that I still and will always have. The way I'm bringing up my own daughter, who's 16, and so we had that. You know, like I said, very much. And my my dad, you know, God rest his soul, proud Nigerian man, mum as well. You know, and we still have those values, regardless of I'm 43 now. But growing up in London, it's 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 a unique experience. Um, to have those two kind of, um, you know what I mean, cultures, if you like. But I definitely consider myself, and, and it's a tricky one because people say, hey, hey, how often do you visit? You, you didn't grow up there. You don't live there. It is what it is. I, I, I consider myself, you know, Nigerian. My passport says British, but, you know, that's the way it is, yeah. That's lovely. That's lovely. I wouldn't let you be <laughs> proud of that. I think in this podcast, we do say it often that we must be proud of our root. Of course, it doesn't mean you should tear up your British passport, but this is where you are coming from. People that have been living in the United States for a lot of time, they still remember, I mean, talking of um, the European that are there, they still remember their root, where they are coming from. No? This is reflected mm. in their culture, in their music, mm. in, what, in what they do. So as African too, we must be proud of who we are, where we are coming from, so that we mm-hmm. can just beat hand on our chest and say, yeah, I know my parent, I know his parent, I know where they are coming from, I know their language, I know mm. this. You know, this is your this is your heritage, no? Yeah. I like the way a lot of Jamaica really, really refer to this, no? It's called it cultural heritage, no? It's your heritage. Because mm. this is who you are. So you must be proud of that. And I'm really yeah, proud of you too, because I'm a Nigerian too, and I love that. We must be proud of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So mm. tell me about your growing up in London. I smile when I when I when I think of it. My mum and dad, we we come from a humble beginnings, yeah. I say humble beginnings, but rich in just wealthy in character, you understand? Um my dad came here, he was very young. I think he left Nigeria, let's say my uh, let's say 19, but as a teenager, he was a bit wayward. So (laughs) he kind of had to make his own way. And he came in that era when you had, um, you know, working in the tube station as an electrician, those kind of jobs, because obviously back in those days, things were different. It was that time when, uh, you know, sort of wind rushed and and black people were not so accepted, if you like. So that was a typical job. 
Um, eventually, he found himself working as a black cab driver. He did his uh, what they call the knowledge, which is learning, you know, the routes and all that sort of thing, because I think he, he recognized that he money kind of slips through his fingers. So he needed this solid job. He wanted a family. He wanted to settle down, um, brought my mum over. She was only, I think, 21 at the time. Um, and then has suddenly this family of three and then four. So my dad was a black cab driver throughout my life until he retired. And um, at some point they worked together so that my mum could go out to work and she trained as a caterer and began uh, working in schools and eventually the police college. And so we, we grew up in um, council estate, but we had everything we needed. My mum and dad are very honest, very, you know, we, we were always taught the right thing to do. None of us was ever in trouble. None of us was ever in problems, always had what we needed, overprotected to some degree as well, <laughs> even though there were four of us. But we were just taught the right way to be. We were taught how to be humble, but proud of yourself too. My dad is a very proud man. Um, you know, he likes to, my dad- Very proud dress. Nigerian. Very, oh my God. <laughs> Listen, such a proud Nigerian. He um, was always talking of home, never stopped talking of home, you know, till his last days. And uh, even we, just over two years ago, we buried dad home. You know, he, he always said he wants to be repatriated. Never bury me here. <laughs> Not that he was ungrateful for what Britain did for him, but that was him. And uh, actually my upbringing, a big part of it was that dad would travel, would save up every six months or so. He was traveling, building his home for us. And that carried on for years. I think it's quite a common thing that people will recognize that in their upbringing, but managed to build, you know, as, 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 as a cab driver, to build this family home. He, each one of us, he wanted to have a bedroom. He wanted that to be his legacy. He left, he had his own road. The street was named after him, Cyril Akoli, um, in the village there. And uh, we learned that work ethic. And, and when my dad passed, um, just over two years ago. Sorry about that. Thank you. We were able to bury him on his land. And he used to tell us, you know, if, if, if you bury me here, I'll haunt you. Like that was his little <laughs> joke, but I think he meant it. <laughs> so, you know, very proud, proud Nigerian man, loved his roots, loved his roots. So yeah. the, the story of the African diaspora is very, very important. It is our mm. story and we must tell it. All right, now you grew up in London. This is the yeah. capital of the world, if we want to put it like that. No, that is everything <laughs> there, no? Yeah. <laughs> so you decide that you want to give back because this is very important. This is also why we want to know where we are coming from. You look at mm. your background. Now you decide mm. that you want to give back by being a coach. What kind of fulfillment do you want to have doing this kind of business? What I need to, uh, what I would do is just make clear with coaching, because I think a lot of people hear it and there's coaches everywhere. Everybody's a coach, everybody's a coach. But what's important about coaching as an intervention is that it is um, non-directive. So that's the distinction. It's not about giving your opinion or telling somebody what to do. Oh, I've been here before you. 
I've been in the corporate world. This is what you do, this, this, this. This is not how it works. Essentially, what you're doing is you're having open conversations with people. You're finding out what it is they want, what their reality is, what resources do they currently have to get there? What is it they need to work on with you? But you are, the responsibility lies with them. That's the reason why you don't give your opinion. You don't give your advice. You do it in a way through powerful questioning so that that person feels that onus of what it is. So it's different to mentoring. Mentoring might be, oh, I've, I've been in problems before and, and, you know, this is what you should do, young person. No, you know, and that's, um, I think, essentially, it's about arming people with the tools that they need and the resources that they need in order to make the best of this one life that we have, you know, and do it with confidence. And I think it kind of follows my story because these are, I suppose, you know what it is? I look back and there's certain things that I believe I needed when I was younger, direction, that kind of thing. If you look at my story, before I had my daughter, I actually, I actually was in advertising. I went into the corporate world, you know, at the age of um, 18, and they, they say to you, well, okay, what do you want to do? And back then, careers advisors weren't, weren't you know, no, no disrespect. I'm sure there were some good ones. But, you know, it was just this 18-year-old. I didn't know what to do or where to go. I was kind of looking at my two sisters. They were going towards, you know, being in the city, you know, with the brief, whatever it is, wearing your suit, going every day. On the I didn't have any idea. I'm looking at all my friends going to university. This one wants to be an optometrist. This one says, OK, I want to do it. And I was a bit, I felt quite lost. And I remember just, um, you know, my parents, God love them. They were doing their best, but obviously they were working. There's four of us. And they're not um, people who understand the education system so much. You understand? They didn't go to university. They didn't understand enough to be able to guide us. So I kind of find that in life, I had the resources, I was quite intelligent. I could uh, make my way, I could emulate what my sisters did. But in terms of what is it you really want to do? And so at 18, I just ended up choosing media. I remember thinking at the time, oh, what is it that's gonna be a bit fun? And, you know, I didn't really utilize or know who I was, you understand? I'm 18 years old. And so my life kind of followed this journey. I stayed in media for, I think, five years advertising. I was working in advertising agencies up until I had my daughter. And that then, I think when I left to go on maternity leave, I kind of knew I wasn't going back to the corporate world. It was never me. There was never, it, it just, you know, you have values, you have course. You, you are not getting the fulfillment that you really needed in it. No. I'm getting by because I can get by. That's me. But what is it, what is it exactly that you didn't like in it? Like, um, was it the working routine did it, because you were convincing people? What exactly did you not like in the corporate world in your own, it, in your own case? It was superficial to me. I think my values in life were about people. I'm a very people-centered person. And... It wasn't that I wanted fast cars and money and to one up someone or, or, or outdo somebody or, or, or climb my way to the, t all of that stuff. It just, I, I can't explain to you. It just didn't resonate with me. So then having had my daughter, 
I stayed home to look after her for a few years. And I kind of, like I said, I knew that I wasn't going to go back to this corporate world. And it meant a lot to me to be able to look after her, bring her up. Not that I'm going to be leaving on a train in the morning, giving her to childcare, whatever it is, coming back at seven o'clock, putting her to, oh no, I wanted to be this hands-on. That was important to me. So anyway, strangely enough, um, somebody mentioned to me when it was time to sort of think about, okay, I've got to go back to work now, what am I going to do? And my friend said to me, have you thought of teaching? And in all seriousness, I've never even considered, the idea has never, I was 32 at the time, idea had never come into my mind and something about it just said completely, uh, this is what I want to do. Um, and I looked back and I realised that in everything I did, I loved this teaching, I loved training people. It was always there, I just didn't know. Um, and also through having my daughter and being around children, I learned that I had patience. I never thought it was there and I liked children. And, and so um, I then decided to volunteer at my daughter's school as a parent. And I worked my way, I was a mealtime supervisor, like lunchtime, whatever it was, I was volunteering, doing a maths, um, maths teaching with uh, disadvantaged children who needed a boost in maths. Um, from there, I decided to go for my teacher training and there was a, it's, it's now called Schools Direct, but back then it was called the Graduate Teacher Programme. And it was the final year. So I managed to get myself onto as the final cohort and back, and they paid back then. It wasn't that you had to finance it yourself. So it was working on the job and getting paid in a year. So from uh, what I was doing to suddenly being in a classroom, a year's very intense training, and then at my daughter's school as well, I worked at the same school as her. They gave me a, a position there as a student. And that's where my teaching career began. So from what I'm saying, you can see where it's not a bad thing because things worked out. I found my own way. But you can see where I could have used direction, if you like, to know earlier more of where I wanted to go I don't regret I learned so much there's no position I've ever been in or role I've ever done that I don't that I regret because everything comes together to be the person I am today and gives me all of the skills that I need to you know keep moving forward but I'm just very passionate about I guess people knowing where they're going there's an element of finding out for yourself making mistakes all part of life all character building but I really do feel passionate about, you know, just being happy in what we do as well. Careers and work, that is a big part of life. Parenting, all of these things, they're important things in life. And if you can do it in a way that satisfies you and, you know what I mean? It means you can then empower your children. It means you can empower the next generation. Everybody moving forward, everybody with the skills and the resources to do that. In fact, you know. there's something I was even thinking there, no? Because mm. as you were explaining, I was beginning to wonder that it is possible that uh, this is your new line probably make you a better parent. Is it possible? Oh, goodness. Yeah, definitely. Um, without a doubt, I think I'm a single mum as well. I didn't mention that, I don't think. But I've been a, I've always parented my daughter essentially by myself. And so if you can imagine doing the teacher training and then this conversion into, and actually my daughter was a driving force in the transition 
because she was entering a very important part in her life, um, starting her GCSEs. And I kind of knew that in order to give her enough, I needed to move from full-time teaching. So these, this coaching has given me, because as a coach, your training, your number one coach is you. Everything that you're imparting, you're doing, you know, you're working on yourself. Um, first and foremost, you're working on yourself. So I have definitely gained so much and changed as a person and as a mum. Every single day I use what I, I know to, you know, make sure that I'm trying to be the best parent I can be. So, yeah, coaching has definitely um, changed me as a person, changed me as a parent. I relate to my daughter more. NLP helps me to see her perspective because NLP is about reframing. So, you know, you can put yourself in other people's shoes. That's what it gives you the um, resources to do, to see things from someone else's perspective, to choose the um, right response, to not react. I'm making it sound easy. <laughs> you know, she... <laughs> you're a coach, so you're, you're talking from your experience. For... <laughs> she's 16. As this is a 16-year-old, she's got her GCSEs. It's... Um, you know, um, it, it hasn't been easy, but but as I say, this is really helping to make sure that it's a positive relationship and continues to be as, you know, I navigate parenting as she grows and goes out into the world. So, yeah, definitely, I would say a um, massive part of my parenting. Can you tell me who your uh, main concentration are? Because, of course, I know you don't go around, you are uh, getting clear. Of course, we're, we're going to look at the business side of it just now. But... Uh, who are you concentrating on as the target of uh, of your of your coaching? Okay, so this is an interesting one because um, I'm kind of relatively early on in my journey, and I've always known that you have to have a, a not have to have, but a niche is the best way to go to specialize in something. But I'm sure I'm not alone um, in finding that quite a tricky concept. It's a very straightforward concept in the sense of specializing something, be good at that and grow. Perfect. Everybody knows what you're doing. You don't want to look like somebody who's all over the place. But I have so many skills, first of all, and experience and expertise, so many passions for different things. As, you know, so many places I'm coming from, I'm coming from being a woman, a black woman, a, a single mom. I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a writer, all of these different things. So what I have done, the route I've taken is that um, I'm specializing with teachers, um, what they call early career teachers. Um, so teachers who are just starting out and also teachers who are kind of following similar journey to me, which is transitioning into middle leadership, because there's quite a lot of coaching that um, concentrates on leaders, you know, your head teachers, your deputy heads. and those new teachers, those teachers who are going from being a teacher to, to um, navigating leadership, that's where I want to focus on that gap. So what I, I've done is I, I'm a consultant with the local borough that allows me then to go in and to work with schools and to have that concentration of my skills, you know, there to benefit not only teachers, but also the children they teach. And then in my own time, I'm still exploring. I coach in the evenings. And that way I get to work with 
different people, mostly women, but from different walks of life. So it's I get to work with young people who are find younger people who are finding their way. I get to work with an accountant. I get to work with a personal, you know, different types of people. So essentially, what I'm saying is, teaching is my my um, niche, if you like, but I'm still just seeing and finding out and exploring at this early stage in my career. So it's almost like I'm getting the best of both worlds because, you know, you will get that advice. You must have a niche. You must have a niche. You must, you know. And then there's other people that say, no, why should you have? And, and, and I, I used to wonder, how does this all work? Because I know that I wear so many hats, but I know that I don't want to be this person that's, you know, just looks like somebody who jack of all trades, if you like. Um, and so I used to wonder, like, which one is the right one? And it's difficult when you're starting out and so many people are telling you so many different things and you want to succeed and you don't want to lose confidence. So that was my way of saying, OK, I'm using my speciality where I know that um, I can benefit people. Um, I'm very passionate about staff retention as well. Teachers, you know, the, the state of education, we don't need to go into it, but teachers are leaving in their droves. And I understand why but I'm passionate about helping, you know, working on that situation so that they have better coping mechanisms, time management, uh, dealing with pressures, that's where the NLP comes in, all of that sort of thing. And then at the same time, I'm still exploring to see, okay, is there another area that um, I can be just as good at or might be my, the way that I go. So it's not that I'm blocking anything out or, you know, I'm kind of, Doing both, if that makes sense. Best of both worlds. Absolutely. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. All right. Now, you are a, a personal, uh, personal performance coach. Tell me about that. How do, you, how, do you do, how do you really help people to improve their performance? I want to believe that is uh, where you are going. Anyway, mm. you are the coach. You, you help me. How do you, how do you really go about your coaching? Yeah. So, um, Essentially, when I get a new client, we'll do um, an exploration session. So that will really, for them, be a chance to just explore and bring out what are the main things, what are the main goals or outcomes, if you like, that you would like. Okay. And then we look at um, some of the, the reality of the situation, I guess. So you look at some of the constraints that are happening. Okay, what's happening in your life at the moment? Okay, where are you? Okay, where is it you want to see yourself? When do you want to see this by? How will you know that you've achieved what it is you want to achieve? And then when we've established um, what it is that they want to do, then we then have, um, essentially it's a coaching conversation and that can reveal where there might be limiting beliefs that are holding somebody back. It can reveal where, actually that quite often it reveals that you are more further along than you think you are, or that you have more resources than you think you do. But it's about streamlining it because often most of my clients come and they are, their thoughts are everywhere. There's so many things they want to do there, they're, they're, but they, don't, they need that coaching conversation to help them to sit down and to focus in and to get clarity and to get direction so that they can see a clear path because you have to be able to see where you're going. You know, it's about starting with the, you know, the end in mind. I can't remember who said that, um, but you start with, you begin with the end in mind and then you go from there. Um, and contrary to what people think, it's not that you sit down every time you see a client, every whatever it is, every two weeks 
and you're working on the same thing now every time you they come to you they have it might it might change it might be that whatever's most pressing to them at that time that's what you sit down and you you make sure that that's the right um outcome that they're looking towards um and so from the beginning of a session to the end essentially what they will get is um clear idea of where they're going what the goal is where am i with it what else do i need okay what could i do and then they leave with um, an action plan of just um stepping stones might be one or two stepping stones that they're, go they're going to take these actions and they're achievable actions you know it's not that you know it's not about taking huge leaps but by the next session we're going to sit down okay how did you get on um you know how did you get on with the action what was successful for you what wasn't okay what did you do instead so you can see how through this process they're moving forward towards what it is they want to achieve through stepping stones so you know what their longer term goals are you know what their ultimate goals are even 10 years down the line 20 years down the line you know what they want to get but it's about moving them towards that that's interesting that's interesting mm. now you made mention of um limited belief do you want mm. to say anything about that to sort of clarify for the average person Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we all have them. Um, limiting beliefs, they're those, those um, they're quite, they can be quite deeply ingrained to the point where we don't even know that we have them. But it might be something like, um, okay, I mentioned um, earlier about my mum and dad not, not going to university. And I remember my dad, you know, bless him, he always had this thing, I'm not a learned man. I'm not a learned man. Because he didn't go to university, so he's comparing himself to others. And that would stop him from doing some things sometimes, he, you know, and so I say that only because when I speak of my dad, you can see that that is not a, any old man. That is a that is a man. You understand that is a, a, a person who has everything. Look at you. But that belief of I didn't go to university, you can only imagine the number of things that it might have stopped him from doing. And we have these things about ourselves. Um, and it's about unpicking those things. Oh, I'm not confident enough. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, no, that's not for me. You know, I'm not good at those things. Sometimes it's our comfort zone. You know, something comes along, an opportunity, but we, we've told ourselves, no, you know what, that person over there, they're really confident. They're good at that. I'm a little bit too shy. So we have these things, we have these views of ourselves, and those things just every day that we're missing opportunities they're stopping us we don't even realize it we're doubting ourselves and we're, we're frustrated because we want to, we want to achieve something and we want to move forward but because these beliefs that's where the limit limits come in that they're limiting us they're stopping us from trying something new they're stopping us from saying yes they're stopping us from asking for an opportunity because we assume oh no you know something about us or the situation. So those are essentially what we mean by limiting beliefs. And um, you help your clients as a coach, you help your coachee to raise their awareness that this is there. Uh -huh. And Good. obviously, you know, in knowing that it's there, they can start to move past it. To move past it, that is very important now, because if you need to get somewhere, that, there is a <laughs> say somewhere that if you need to, if you have something that you are aiming at, if you don't have it already, meaning that it's something blocking you. So for you to get it, you need to first of all break that bridge, that barrier that is mm. holding you back. Mm. So uh, now I'm interested in 
what kind of tool do you use to help people understand this thing that they want to achieve and how to break the barrier that is holding them back? What are the tools that you employ? I would say, as I said, first of all, it's raising their awareness. Um, and that, I, I guess, the, it's, the, it's the questioning. So it's um, the use of really powerful questioning. So if somebody brings up a limiting belief about themselves, um, then you, you can help them to explore where it came from, why it was there. You can help them to look back as they are now with the wisdom they have now to realize why it might be there and that it might not be so true. Um, but yeah, I guess you, yeah, you question them. You ask them, well, where's the proof of that? Okay, well, how do you know that this is true? Okay, who says that that's true? Um, always open questions, never close questions that they could give a yes or no to. Um, and then as they start to explore it, they then ask themselves, that's true. Why, why does it make it true? who did say that and then so it sparks this thing where they start to think okay or maybe that's not so true so it's, it's it's raising the awareness of it that's the first step and then just yeah using questioning to get them to question it and to see an alternative to reframe it so to see it from a different perspective now, i'm beginning to to see you now as somebody who is prepared for this job which mm -hmm. means you need to develop certain skill for you to be able to um navigate even this job because mm. i'm looking at it like a kind of that there is a lot of psychology that is required to do the work no mm, so definitely. Mm, the skill the skill is important now so what mm. kind of skill do you think somebody need to have to be able to work as a coach mm, i think um number one i say number one which you have to work on all the time is listening because this is something that we talk about. Yeah, I'm a good listener. Yeah, everybody thinks they're a good listener. No, to really listen. Um, that's the number one skill you need as a coach because you need to be able to hear and understand where a person is coming from before you can help them. And that's only by seriously like active listening. Everything else is blocked out, including your own thoughts. You can't be sitting there, oh yeah, that's happened to me as well. Hmm, oh yeah, I've been through that. All of those, you have, to, you have to be able to block them out and just listen to this person as an individual. They're not you. Doesn't matter if they've gone through exactly the same um, path or, you know, as you, they're who they are. This is their process, as I mentioned before. That's where the onus of responsibility comes on them. Um, you also have to seriously manage your ego as well. Um, because you, it's not for you to jump in and say to them, oh, yes, I think you should do that, or that's a good idea. No, no. You, you manage your own um, state so that you are an impartial listener helping this person to go where they need to go, where they want to go. So, um, yeah, I would say that that's a really good skill. You also have to be very good at questioning as well. I mentioned questioning. Um, it's about asking the right questions. So you can see how these things work together. You listen enough to hear, hear them, and then you ask the right questions that are gonna open up their mind, reveal the limiting beliefs, keep them moving forward, give them clarity, this kind of thing. So yeah, that powerful questioning. Uh, rapport as well, rapport building is very important because you have to have a rapport with your client 
you need to they need to feel safe they need to feel that it's a confidential space they need to feel listened to valued in order that it's a productive conversation between you so you need to be able to match you know I'm quite a loud you know not loud but quite I can be quite you know hey a bit overbearing hi how are you you know fun hug people this kind of thing but you need to recognize if that client is somebody that's coming in as somebody that's quite reserved you know quite serious then you need to be able to match that in order for them to feel comfortable so that rapport building is um, also a huge huge um, skill that you need as well Mm-hmm. And to develop this skill, say somebody who didn't have this skill before, it is true that some of these skills that are individual who already have them built in them based on where they are coming from because we are an embodiment of culture, sometimes culture that are dated back to hundreds and, and thousands of years. No? And mm-hmm. So uh, these skills like communication, able to listen, able to be, to be there with the people, having a, a good rapport, uh, how easy is it to build them for those who do not already have this quality? Well, I think that's where a good uh, training body comes into it. Because I trained with um, the Coaching Academy, who are a huge um, organisation. And I spent um, just under two years doing my co- my training um, and then the NLP. And that's where your training comes in. That's where your you know your personal development comes in if you work hard enough train hard enough listen to your feedback without ego listen to what they're telling you and it's a vigorous process you know it was a even for me it's a vigorous process because this is the thing a lot of the skills that I'm explaining in fact probably all of them they come from teaching you've got to build a rapport with a child how's a child gonna progress in your class if they if they've got no rapport with you huge especially when it's a child um you've got in your teaching your lessons the learning and moving them forward from where they start at the beginning of lesson to the end of a lesson is about questioning so what I'm trying to say is I had a lot of these skills to begin with but it was still a rigorous and a difficult process for me so my answer to that is go and get yourself qualified choose a reputable you know, because the thing about coaching is, and a lot of the reason why a lot of people are a little bit skeptical, it's still not a fully regulated body. So you can be a coach without any qualification. Um, but as I'm saying this to you now, you can see why the importance of um, training and qualifying and really going through a, a good process is there. And so that's what I would say. I would say it's, it's possible to get these things, you know. If you choose the All right. Mm-hmm. I have I have a, a curiosity mm-hmm. because the demography that we are concentrated on is African diaspora, are people of African descent mm. who might have a different cultural understanding to some of the things that are happening, even in the same place. No, mm-hmm. is it possible that your cultural background might be helping you to better deal with the people, deal with your client, as it were? I guess it depends because you know where I'm stuck is that. There's only so much that you can influence your client. You, you know, that, that's, that's where I'm stuck when you're saying that because I wouldn't sit there and somebody came in and they, I, I, I would never say, oh my goodness, that happened to me too. You don't bring yourself into your coaching. It's not about you. 
and that's where I that's where um you're making me think when you ask me that question because that's that that that, that that's the cutoff. You, you don't bring yourself into it. You don't you don't you know you might share stories with your clients, but not in a way that you are leading them. That's really important. You're not if you if I lead my clients, if I tell them what worked for me and what to do. And then they say to me, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I met you. You've changed my life. Oh, thank you. I don't know what I would have done without you. Where's the responsibility? What, what did you do then? They end up thinking that I've done all of this for them. Listen, I facilitated the process. Mm -hmm. I guided you. I supported you. But I'm not responsible for you becoming more confident. I'm not responsible for you gaining that position that you wanted I'm not essentially responsible for that. You are. And if you don't believe that you are, then what's the point of the coaching? The whole point of coaching is to grow. You know, the person develops as a person. They develop the skills they need. They develop the resources. And they're not tied to you for three years, coaching every week, every, week, every two weeks. No, there comes a point when they should feel confident enough and resourced enough to go out there and use what you've helped them and guided them to grow is if that makes sense so yeah, it, it does make sense yeah, yeah, mm. yeah now um i have seen some people within the community again i'm talking about the african diaspora community you know uh, because you know this is something that we are it's not something that uh, we are particularly used to don't no? having a somebody coming to coach you to teach you some of the things that you or to guide you as a tool let me use your own words no mm -hmm. Uh, people sometimes ah well it's very expensive ah, okay maybe I don't even need that you know things like that yeah. so you being a coach what do you want to say in respect of the cost of having a coach mm. um one of the things that um I've learned and that we were told earlier on and don't get me wrong I was sitting there thinking oh that's expensive I don't know if I can afford that is I have I you know I pay for coaching myself um, as a coach still. But what I would say is what is the price of, 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 of growth? What's the price? It's, it's not about, look, you can look at it as, um, you know, there's a lot of coaches that will talk about I only work with um, high powered clients who want a, a job with a six figure, whatever it is. And those are the only people I work for. Those are their values. And, and that's fine. That, that aligns with you. Do you understand? Yeah. So to me, it's about what is the cost of, of personal change. So, so, so I'm saying that it can be seen as um, I want this job and this coach has helped me to get that. So for that, I'm willing to pay £2,000. There are other benefits that are not so perceptive, like you, you, you don't perceive them immediately. Somebody's changing. Over the course of six, 12 weeks with you, whatever how many sessions somebody's changing internally as a person somebody's becoming more confident somebody is um uh, believing in themselves more it's this slow burn if you like but at the end of it you are changing you are equipping yourself for life it's not just for that job that you want now what's the cost of that if you know who what, what price would, would would you put on that that's a high price that you would put on that and it's again it's not about it's something that you could do by yourself that might take you years and years and years but that coach is moving you forward quicker than you would by yourself so when people say you know it's too expensive that that's what I would say um 
I, I personally know, even if I haven't got that much money, I know from experience that it's worth having and, and you know, paying for that. And that, that's what I say. What's the, what's, what's the price of life change? What price would you put on it? You weren't happy or whatever it was. And now you're becoming somebody who's happier, somebody who's enjoying life, somebody who's able to live in the moment. That's not... Um, do you understand? It's not something that's that that most people would put a small price on. That's what I would say to that. Right. Now, for a, a beginner coach out there who wants to start coaching uh, and looking at your experience, mm -hmm. what would you say are maybe the three best strategies that you must employ if you want to succeed? From, of course, looking at it from the point of business, looking at it from the point... Of course, you are going to have to define, define your own success. But the strategy that you need to employ if you want to succeed. Number one, train. Get a qualification. Get a reputable qualification and continue your career development at every, you know, continue it. Don't just give up on it. So that needs to be a continued thing. Um, second thing I would say is use your network. So the network of people that you already know, because I think the... the finding clients and knowing if you're going to be able to sustain yourself is probably the biggest fear and the reason why a lot of coaches go back to their old job or they you know so use your existing network as a base first of all and thirdly I would say um, learn how to scale up yeah so at the moment it's all about um, you know workshops so you're, cause you can coach one-to-one. -one. That's why I say use your existing networks. One-to-one -one coaching, I think it's great to develop you, to give you experience and all this sort of thing. But eventually think about sort of scaling up to where you're doing group workshops, if you like. Um, and so you are, that is what's gonna keep your client base consistent is having, you know, a really good service that you offer and you can grow it basically from being, you know, whatever it is, one-to-one one -one coaching, but to something that, you know, scaling up is what I'm saying, you know, find a good, you know why the thing with me is I'm still at that point where I'm trying to, I know what's out there and I've come across, I'm very observant. I'll sit back. I, I want to be really clear about the direction I'm going in. And there's a lot of people out there who are after young coaches. Uh -huh. So I tell them to be careful. And they come to you and they say, oh, become a 10,000 pound a month coach. And there's this strategy that they use. It, it doesn't agree with me. But somewhere in between you working at a smaller scale and coaching one to one and, you know, somewhere in between these 10,000 pound a month, do this, do that. I guarantee it or you don't have to pay me. There is a strategy for yourself getting to, you know, putting yourself out there marketing yourself in the right way and just being able to reach people in a different way on a on a larger scale i think that's where the secret if you like to sustaining yourself is yeah. so if people want to connect with you or maybe you have offer there whatever is it that can be useful to your business in this moment mm -hmm. please go ahead and do that yeah so if people want to connect with me they can the best place to find me at the moment is um on linkedin so um get me on LinkedIn um, if you want to connect with me. And also I give a free exploratory um, session, 45 minute session. And that's um, a really good 
base, I guess, for you to start from with that. So that's um, always on offer. But yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. And essentially, you know, I very confident and, you know, all of the people that I've worked with has always been a wonderful, you know, coaching, coach, coach, coachy relationship. And they've all, you know, moved forward. Um, and yeah, I don't, you know, I think it would be definitely time well spent. Oh, right. That's absolutely important. Now, uh, I've asked you everything I need to ask you, and it will be great here. Now, to uh, conclude the conversation, what would be maybe a kind of a final message or something that you wanted to say? I didn't ask you to conclude it very briefly. Let's go. Your journey is your own. Uh, I feel so strongly about that. I think I just touched on that when I was talking about finding the strategy. But your journey is your own. And one of the things that might derail you is looking at um, people around you and what they're doing and who's established and I'm not and all this kind of thing. But um, I really feel I'm very intentional in making sure that I take what I need and I, I'm, you know, I, I'm discerning about what is useful to me and what is not, what, what aligns with my values and what doesn't. And your journey is your own. Create your own path. That's what I would um, say to anybody who is um, in life in general, but anybody as well who's um, going into their own business or, you know, whatever, it, whatever path it is that they're following. All right. Uh, Daniel Okolye, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead A14. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you in the next episode.